You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 158 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm, I'm okay, Val. Do I That's say that good. every week? I pretty much you do, don't do I? do a bit, okay. yeah. Yeah, well, it's, well, you know, generally I am. It's kind of... That's good. I wish I had more highs and lows to share with you to make this into more of a melodrama, but really, Al's well, life goes on. Perhaps you can tell us instead, what have you been up to? Uh, Would well, you know what I've been up to? I have, well, I've been, what have I been doing? I've been writing blog posts is what I've been doing. I've been oh. writing promotional blog posts for the um, upcoming launch of the Mapmaker Chronicles, number so four. Exciting. Which, most exciting moment of all, on Friday, I received my first copy in the mail and <gasps> I stood there with my, with it in my hot little author hand. And I have yes. to tell you that it never gets old. It no. really doesn't. Just that thing of having your own book in your hand. And you've had so, so many exciting. now. Well, I, I do I do have quite a few. They are adding up, but it's still it's still really, really exciting. It's really Do you have like exciting. a ritual, like, you know, when you get it in your hand for the first time, do you do a little dance or something or I do a little yeah. dance I, do you know what I did this time though it was hilarious because I was at the post office and I had to actually go in and line up to get my parcel because I wasn't early enough to just nip through the back door and get it oh. it's a long story um and so she handed it to me and I was like and I looked at the back and I was like I know what this is and I said guess what this is and she said Alison it's a book it's what you always get and I went no but you don't understand <laughs> I know they know me they're like oh it's a book what a surprise um <laughs> And I opened it up and I was like, it's my book. It's the fourth book. And they're all like, yay. And the whole post oh, office. Oh, wow. It was very That's exciting. awesome. And, I of course, the name of the book. book. Oh, sorry, yes. It's called Beyond the Edge of the Map and it's book four um, in the Mapmaker Chronicles series. And I, my, po- my local post office staff are just really great too, by the way. Big shout yes. out to Australia Post staff. If anyone's listening, you guys do a great job. Hello, Australia Post staff. Hello. Down there. <laughs> Down there. Yeah. Anyway, awesome. what have you been up to? What have I been up to? I'm a little bit tired and I, yesterday I had to have a foot massage because my feet hurt so much because I'd basically oh. been on my feet for a couple of days because I'd been in Brisbane in high heels. Um, in high heels? Yes. Talking. Well, mm. you kind of have – I'm not – I'm vertically challenged. You are. And Seriously. especially I, when I you're on I can't even stage. argue with that. <laughs> I can't even pretend to like, I can't even go, no, you're not really. I have to say, yes, you actually are. So I need to wear high heels, especially when you're talking on stage, which is what I was doing. I was talking to a group of authors and aspiring authors on how they can build their profile. And so there was a lot of chatting going on and a lot of chatting during the breaks, of course, for people who wanted, you know, different bits of advice. And so, yeah, my feet hurt by the end of it. 
there you go. Mm. That, that, was, okay. that was me. Um, but we want to give. Do they still hurt? Uh, a little bit. They take time to recover. When you wear high, I don't know, maybe it's an age thing, but when, when you wear heels for that long and have to catch planes in them and stuff and carry mm. your wheelie bag, it, it's, well, wheel your wheelie bag. It's, um, yeah, it's like having a hangover. It's like a foot hangover. It is. And particularly if you don't wear them a lot, I think. I know. Which I never do. So if I wear them now, it's like, oh, I need about three weeks to recover. Exactly. Same here. I'm getting better. But, um, yeah, well, uh, I think I'll be right in a couple of days. But let's give a big shout out to the business dude from the USA. Now, the business dude from the USA has left us a review on iTunes and has called it amazing writing advice and thoughtful support. And the business dude has said, well, I'm assuming the business dude is a he, he has said, Alison and Valerie are a staple for your writing resources. Their witty and insightful humour adds to the already helpful education of writing. They provide practical advice as well as explain a variety of resources available to you if you are a writer, want to be a writer, or enjoy the subject. This is a must-have. Thank you, Valerie and Alison. Oh, thank you, the business dude. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you're enjoying it and that you're getting so much use out of it. That's fantastic. Yes, and that you're listening all the way from America. So Mm. we really appreciate your support and for taking the time to leave us a review. And, of course, if any other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Now, we want to also give some shout-outs to some people. I want to give a big shout-out to all the people who – uh, messaged us on social media to tell me where the car washes are that you can sit in and drive through. <laughs> I particularly Which... like the ones that say, you can sit in your car here, but it's not very good for your car, Valerie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're just looking out for you, aren't they? Yeah, but thank you for those people who took the time to do that because um, I really appreciate it because mm-hmm. um, I asked in a previous episode, whether anyone had any tips of where I can actually sit in my car to go through the car wash because I just so much fun. But also we asked listeners to give us a shout out and tell us where they were listening to us. And we had some really great responses. And we just want to say hi to Sean, who is listening on the way to Adelaide, the Adelaide Writers Festival, and Mark, who usually listens while going to the Perth Hills for a run. So we accompany Mark on his run. We are but running think, up hills. Yeah, running up hills. It's That's good. Jeez, so, I felt good about that. The We had a quite an odd one too, didn't we, Al? Oh, no, this is the best one. Okay, so this is my winner of the week. Okay. Um, and this came as part of a, a lovely email that I received from Rachel Emma Shaw. And Rachel uh, wrote to talk about the sort of the differences and similarities between science writing and writing novels and all sorts of uh, lovely things. And I do love getting emails from you. So, you know, feel free to email me via, your web- via my website. But Rachel Emma Shaw says, I know you like hearing about what people are doing when they listen. So I'll leave you with the knowledge. Are you ready, Val? Yeah. I'm ready. That you accompany me whilst I dissect the brains of fruit flies. Oh, my God. I like to think it's <laughs> one of the weirder ones. I think you're right. Yes. 
I'm not a crazy person, though. My PhD oh. was studying brain cancer, and just like there are similarities between writing science and fiction, the same is true for fly and human brains. How bizarre. That oh, definitely just, wins. So, Rachel, thank you so much. I think you definitely win the uh, the what would you call it? The weirdest the, place that you the weirdest listener from. of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I just have this vision though, like you know how small fruit flies are. So how yeah. small is a fruit fly? How do you even do that? How I just, do you do that? You have some serious skills. I'm so impressed with your with your fine motor skills for starters. Yeah. <laughs> Nano dissection. Absolutely something. fantastic. Wow. All right, let's move on to the links for um, this week about the world. So I'm not making any sense. (laughs) Let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. Um, One of the things that we spoke about in a previous episode, I think it was a mini-sode, was when someone asked us whether you need to go visit a place if you're going to write about it. Like do you have to go to Syria if you're going to write about Syria or New York if you're going to write about New York or Paris or whatever. And, of course, I would love any excuse to go to exciting places like New York and Paris, maybe not so much Syria. Uh, But this link, which was in the Telegraph, the UK Telegraph, uh, is called Bailey's Women's Prize Long List, How Google Street View Helped One Author to Write a Hit Novel. Ah. And it says a first-time British author who researched a New York novel via Google Street View and YouTube has been nominated for the Bailey's, Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction. Little Deaths by Emma Flint is based on the true story of Alice Crimmins, a mother accused of murdering her two young children in the New York suburb of Queens in 1965. And, yeah, she did not visit Queens at all, but she found she said that she found all the information she needed online. Pretty amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> and just goes, I, I don't you love it when, you know, something pops up to just underscore our conversation of the previous yes. week? I think that's fantastic. Yeah, so, you know. Google Street View, YouTube, Airbnb, there are many resources out there for you. (laughs) And interestingly, she says, um, most of my research was done online. I use Google Maps and Street View to walk down the streets in Queens, where the story is set, to look up at the buildings and to try and get a sense of the neighbourhood. I listened to the Queen's accent on YouTube and I looked at thousands of photos of suburban America in the mid in the mid 60s so the other interesting thing is if if you're because it was the mid 60s and yes I do know that Google wasn't around then but Google's been Mm. around for quite a while now so if one of the things that we recently did this wasn't for the purpose of writing this was the purpose of of sticky beaking um was our house that we've moved into we looked up um the you know the Google archives like, like the Wayback Machine to look at and so we looked at pictures on Google Street View from ten years ago to see what the house looked like so we could see the changes to the house. Wow. Absolutely fascinating to see the different houses in the street as well, which I then subsequently did um, to see the changes in the house. And so that's possible as well. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even know that. There you go. You can look up your house like from ten years ago or something. Well, yeah, if Google Street View drive around at that point. Mm. Anyway, so, you know, there's lots of tools at your disposal if you want to look stuff up for places that you don't go to. Mm. Now, another good one, a good link, 
is from The Right Practice and it's by someone called Sue Weems and it's called Five Sneaky Ways to Steal Time to Write. And basically she's got five tips, which I think are really good, about how to steal time or make time to write, which we're very big on, as you know. So the the first one is... I make an intention. And I think that's so important because if you actually have the intention, I'll write when I have the time, you're just never going to write. No, no. And you, and that's something that you say a lot as well. You actually need to have the intention to, to write and actually fit it in with your life. And the next one is I set a production schedule and weekly goals, which is so important to actually carve mm-hmm. out some time in your diary because you might just think, yes, I'm going to make time to write, but unless you actually take action and fill in a little, some little spots, even if they're 15 minutes, you're like, you don't need four hours, a four-hour block, do you? I mean, you almost put, almost never work in a four-hour, a write in a four-hour block, would you, Al? No, I never ever in my life have worked, have written in a four-hour block because I just think that um, – I think what I think is the key to the whole thing is to working out your, you need to work out your rhythm and every writer has a different rhythm. And my rhythm is, is a thousand words in about an hour. You know, that's kind of what I aim for when I'm sort of in, in full flow. If I can't get an hour, then I aim to do 200 words or I aim to do five, like honestly, the 530 idea of trying to get down 500 words in 30 minutes is a huge driver for me yeah. when I'm working on a manuscript because, you know, if, if you sit down to write 500 words in 30 minutes, um, chances are you will actually write more and that's that's yes. where it sort of beca- it comes from and there's there's not that pressure mm-hmm. like half an hour you can do anything for half an hour and yes. so you're sitting down and you get started and and the, the key is also that you do walk away at the end of that half hour because your chances are that's the only that's all you've got right most people are for me it's like I'm wedging that in somewhere there's 30 minutes that I've got to do while dinner's on or whatever I'm doing yeah um but I will often get around 700, 750 words if it's if I'm in a good place in the manuscript. Sometimes yeah. if I'm in a not so great place in the manuscript, I get 400, but that's okay because that's 400 words I didn't have before I started. And I think the other thing I wanted to talk about too, just to go back to your point one about making an intention, mm. it's really important to, to learn to use the time you have, not the time you wished you had, because yes. people spend so much time and waste so much time wishing for more time. Whereas if you actually look at your day overall, it, the time you need is there. It's just yeah. you making the writing a priority at some point in that day. And, you know, as I said, it doesn't have to be a massive amount of time, but you have to somewhere you need to kind of wedge it in. You need to find a way to make that habit, that routine of getting those words down, you know, as often as you can. And I think if you can do that, you will be amazed at how your manuscript starts to grow. And once it starts to grow, it feeds on itself. It's like a bank account. You know, when you first, when you're a kid Mm. and you first learn to save and they, you know, they, give you a dollar and you're like, okay, I'm going to put 50 cents in my money box. And you're thinking this is such a waste of time, but then Mm -hmm. it starts to grow and then it starts to become worthwhile. And then it starts to feel like you're actually going to achieve something. And maybe you're going to be able to buy that PS4 game or whatever it is that you're (laughs) saving up for. 
I'm just watching my kids in action at the moment. Um, <laughs> and if that's the case, and, and that's motivating in itself, because then you start to think, you know what, I'm not going to spend that dollar. I'm going to put the whole dollar aside and then I'm going to have as much money as I want. So you start to think to yourself, I've got my 500 words and I've got my 500 words and oh wait, now I've got 20,000 yes. words. And now I've got something that I'm really going to push forward because I feel like I can get this done now, you know? So yeah. keep going until the momentum starts to build on itself and it will, it does. And I think that one of the things that you're so good at is working out how to fit writing in, as you say, the time that you have, not the time that you wish you had. And I think that actually comes from the fact that you have your finger in so many pies, apart from a regular busy life with, you know, kids, husband, all that kind of stuff, uh, and responsibilities associated with that, you don't just write in one kind of genre. No, you I don't. write in multiple genres and very, very diverse ones, not just fiction, but also nonfiction, freelance writing, everything, so, some copywriting, some content writing. And so you really need to be able to fit all of that in. And Alison's tips are so practical and she's managed to, well, you know, create so many books, so many published books, and there are more on the way. There's one, another one out at the end of the year, another one out next year. So Alison's tips are so practical and, of course, they're all in Alison's course called How to Make Time to Write, which is such a valuable and powerful course to really help you change your mindset and understand how to make time to write. And that course um, also includes the 30-day writing boot camp where you're guaranteed to get 10,000 words if you follow the 30-day writing boot camp. So check out the course at writerscentercomau slash time. That's writercentercomau slash time. And, of course, um, we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to have a look at uh, this um, article that we're referring to. Um, mm. The other sneaky ways to make time to write that she mentions is, number three, I schedule and steal time to work. Number four, I leave myself notes in the manuscript as I work. And number five, which I think is a fantastic one, I learn to sprint sprint. I learned to sprint, especially in first drafts. Yes. Which is, yeah, you know, because if you, if you, um, if you labor over every single word in your first draft, it'll just take forever. You can just go back and labor then. Yes, that's right. Because then you've got something to work with. Absolutely. We'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find in soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. So now I, this, I've got a really good link. I just thought it was absolutely interesting. It's from um, Writer's Digest and it's called The Differences Between a Crime Novel, Mystery Novel and Thriller Novel because often people don't think of that. I mean, they do if they're in the genre, but they're actually quite specific differences between each of them. And again, we'll put this link in the show notes for if you want to read the, you know, whole comprehensive article, which if you are writing in that genre, I highly recommend that you do. But Mm. to summarise, a mystery novel, a crime is almost always committed and it's almost always a murder. And the action of the story is the solution of that crime. So it's, mm. you know, who done it, determining who did it, why, getting some f- form of justice. And the you follow um, usually the investigator, the detective or whatever to then discover the mystery of who the killer is or who the criminal is. 
However, a crime novel, <clears throat> obviously there's usually some kind of crime, but um, the way this explains it is in this genre, the focus is on the contest of wills between the lawman hero and the outlaw opponent and their differing views of morality and the aspects of society they represent. Mm. The greatest crime stories deal with a moral accounting on the part of the hero for his entire life or provide some new perspective on the tension between society and the individual in that often we know who the criminal is already, Mm. but we just follow the story along to see the journey of both the criminal and, of course, the the hero, the protagonist. So subtle differences between crime Mm. and mystery, but um, differences nonetheless. And of course, the thriller novel is is different because that's um, it's often more action. Um, mm. And the way this describes it is where mystery stories represent the most cerebral of the three major suspense genres, and crime stories the most dramatic. Thrillers are typically the most emotional, focusing mm. on fear, doubt, and the dread of the hero as she faces some form of what Dean Koontz has deemed terrible trouble. <coughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, are you all right? The terrible trouble I'm so has sorry. The brought you trouble, undone. Yeah. Yes, yes, I beg your pardon. So the um, terrible trouble is, you know, usually the world's going to end or, you know, yeah. some disaster is about to strike or, or that sort of thing. But, yeah, very important, not only in the crime thriller and mystery um, genre to understand your genre. I mean, I mean, it is very important, uh, regardless of which genre you're writing. So even if you're writing in the romance genre or in any other genre, you need to understand the little um, subgenres that are within there to make sure that you fulfil your readers' expectations. Mm. Don't you, Al? You do exactly, and it because to make it successful and the the ones that work the best, they fulfil those reader expectations and surpass them. You know, in some way, make that you know there's something, and um, I think that you know anyone who's read a mystery novel where you know like an Ian Rankin novel or a Connolly novel or something where people get completely and utterly wound up in the in the hero in the the main character and they will follow that character through book after book after book after book you know those those books are worth reading and reading and reading again to get a really really strong idea of why 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 is this happening and it's because those books um not only fulfill reader expectations but they surpass them in some way so um as you say definitely need to know exactly where your book is going to fit on the shelf and and where in the genre you know your book is going to fit as well yep fantastic well speaking of um crime and thriller writing our giveaway this week is crimson lake by candace fox and of course we've interviewed candace a couple of times on this podcast and her recent collaboration the book never never with james patterson recently hit number one on the new york times bestseller list and this is the next book that she has published called crimson lake and um i and uh it's i have no out it's going to be a huge success as well Mm. uh the competition opens on the 13th of march and it closes on the 20th of march so make sure you get your entries in by going to writercenter.com.au slash win that's writercenter.com.au slash win for your chance to win a copy of crimson lake by candace fox 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd love to create your own picture book, our popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In less than a few hours a week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view in a picture book, structure and pace, as well as language and rhythm, finding the right voice, working with illustrators, publishing options and much more. Complete it online for ultimate convenience and receive personalised tutor feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks. Are you ready for our word of the week, Al? I don't know if I can answer that in a... Yes, you're ready. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm so ready, Val. Well, usually we pick fairly unusual words or rare words or uncommon words, but this Mm. week I've chosen a very common word, a very relevant to our listeners as well, because many of them them are magazine writers Mm. and we're talking about the history of the word because I think it's really interesting. Uh, It is, of course, the word magazine. And this information comes from a great book I've got uh, called The Etymologicon by Mark Forsyth. And in it he writes, Once upon a time there was an Arabic word, kazana, meaning to store up. From that they got makzan, meaning storehouse, and it's plural, makazin. That word sailed northwards across the Mediterranean, which by the way, means middle of the earth, and become and became the Italian magazino, which then proceeded by foot to France and became Macassin, before jumping onto a ferry and getting to Britain as magazine, still retaining its original meaning of storehouse. And usually it's uh, used in a military context, hence the magazine and a gun. Then along came a guy called Edward Cave. He wanted to print something periodically that would contain stuff on any subject that might be of interest to the educated of London and decided to call it The Gentleman's Magazine. Now, the first edition came out in January 1731 and was a digest of stories that appeared in other publications. So there you go. That's where we get the word magazine from. Wow. I would... Wow. Okay. I've never thought about it. And that's all very, very interesting. And I do like the fact that you show us the entire journey of the word. Yes. Now Fantastic. you all sleep. How do they know it went by ferry and by foot? Okay. That bit of creative license there. Well, I don't know. Okay. You know, <laughs> just checking. All right. Who is our writer in residence this week, Al? Well, this week we are talking to Carol Wilkinson. Now, Carol is the internationally award-winning and best-selling author of the Dragon Keeper series, um, Mm. which my boys love. Carol writes both fiction and nonfiction, and her stories are loved by young people all over the world. Like, she has got books in all of the places. Now, the interesting thing is that Carol did not even embark on her writing career until she was around about 40, and she has been making up for lost time ever since. Her latest nonfiction book, Atmospheric, The Burning Story of Climate Change, was the winner of the Wilderness Society's 2016 Environment Award for Children's Literature, nonfiction, um, as well as being a notable book for the Children's Book Council Book of the Year Awards in 2016. Now, this month, Bronzeberg Bird Tower, Bronze Bird Tower, which is the sixth and final book in the Dragon Keeper 
series was published. So I uh, thought that I would, uh, you know, get Carol in the hot seat and have a talk to her about, you know, starting late, what she was doing for the 40 years before she started writing and, you know, the 30 books that she has written since. So this is Carol. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, you say that you didn't even begin writing until you were nearly 40. What were you doing before that and why did you suddenly sort of embark on a writing career? I was a laboratory technician hmm. for, um, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Uh, and science was something I kind of fell into rather than chose. And, um, you know, they were always good jobs, so I stuck with it, interesting people. Uh, interesting work but I kind of knew it wasn't really what I should have been doing and so I um, when I uh, got pregnant with my daughter Lily I decided that that was the time to make a cut I'd never been to university so I, I thought the best thing to do would be to do an arts degree and um, I you know when confronted with them um, on, uh, you know uh, the, what do you call it when the, the day when you sign up for your yeah. course enrollment Enrollment, that's the word. <laughs> uh, on enrollment day, I was confronted with all the choices and I guess I had at the back of my mind that I wanted to have a go at uh, creative writing and that was what I chose. I chose a, actually chose a double degree, creative writing and Mandarin, oh. learning to speak Chinese. Okay. Just a random thing. As you do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, from, from this point... It looks, looking back, it looks like a careful plan, but it wasn't. It does. I'm just thinking that. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, so now it all makes sense, right? No, no, it was just one of those things where, you know, the choices that you make, um, you know, eventually bring you to where you are, but not necessarily with, with any great thought behind it. Mm. Plan, not, not necessarily with any planning. Yeah. So how old were you when you went back to university then? Oh, about 38, 38. Okay. All yeah. right. And so when did you that actually... That was the first time. That was the first time I'd been to university. Oh, there you go. Okay. And when did you actually start writing your first manuscript? Um, straight away, pretty okay. much. Uh, well, I started writing um, short stories and I actually thought I was going to be a non-fiction writer, like a journalist that wrote non-fiction pieces for weekend magazines. I knew... The thing I knew about myself at that stage is that I liked to research. Mm. Uh, and so I started, you know, it, when you do a course like that, you do all the, all the different streams. And so fiction was actually not one of my choices. It was, I, d I was doing short story, but long form fiction was not one of my choices. And um, I just, it was just an elective really. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. So how did you then, because your first novel, Stage Fright, was published in 1996. Yes. How did you come to you know, what was the process for that? How did you come to write that novel and how did it come to be published? Well, I, for a start, I did two writing courses. I did my degree at Deakin um, and then I went straight on to do the RMIT um, professional writing and editing. Uh, I think it was an associate diploma back then. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of eight years part-time study. Yeah, wow. And all the time I was trying out all different sorts of uh of, of types of writing. I did some script writing. I had a telemovie produced. I wrote all these newspaper articles. Uh, but I was surprised by how I was taken by fiction. I did quite well in my fiction class and um, it was not what I was expecting. So uh, 
I um, I'm, I was very fortunate. I, I had a day job, which was my, my first job as, as a writer, where I wrote brochures and handbooks, educational handbooks for um, uh, an, an educational uh, institution and um, even educational handbooks need a publisher. And so I was working with the publisher for two or three years and it turned out that that publisher was uh, Andrew Kelly of Black Dog Books. Ah. Just doing this sort of thing, you know, to pay the bills. Right. And so... Um, I was in a position when I found out that he was the kids' author to, to say, um, you know, uh, I'd like to, to do some writing. But that, that didn't happen straight away. Um, and I also met uh, Andrew's her partner, wife, Marianne Ballantyne, and she was at that time not working for, for Black Dog, but she was working for... Um, Oh, I can't remember which one of the one of the Heinemann, I think I can't remember, yeah. and she, I I handed her one of my manuscripts that you know the manuscript that I'd written, which I thought was an adult uh, novel, and she I don't I still to this day don't know if she actually read it from cover to cover, but um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, she's she's my publisher now and has been for you know many years, um, and she uh, she said Carol. I can't help you with this, but I am doing uh, a series uh, of educational novels for, uh, for, well, novels for the educational market for uh, the, the, that are for teens. If you can come up with something like that for, that will fit in with that, then maybe I can help you. So, you know, this will probably be on my list of, of, of tips. <laughs> Never say no to anything. <laughs> Yep, fair so, enough. So you say, yes, okay, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll have a think about that. In, in, you know, in the back of your head you're thinking, what? Teen novel never occurred to me. Um, but um, I, I, I came up with a, an idea. I wrote a synopsis, Marianne liked it, and so um, that, that was my first novel, Stage Fright. Stage Fright, was it? Yes, and which was actually in a, a pub, published for the educational market, but it was a full-form full novel. Okay, and so where did the idea come from? Like you've never considered writing for teens, you've never considered writing for children at on any level. Um, yeah. Fiction is not necessarily your, your sort of like you were originally thinking yeah. non-fiction, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and there you are, published in what would be now not YA. Um, how, where, where did you get the idea from? Like how did you come up with a, a, a synopsis and the whole thing? I stole it. I Oi, <laughs> my daughter Lily, Lily Wilkinson, who is on our also an author, oh, of was and an excellent author at that. Yes, absolutely. If I think she was like thirteen or fourteen at the time, I had a teenage daughter, uh, so I she was very involved in theatre uh, at school. You know, she had a theatre group, which was hilarious. Really, the productions were hilarious. They wrote their own words and very diverse group of kids involved in it. So yeah. I just stole that, that scenario. I made up the story. Yeah, of course. I, in my own defence, I made up the story, but I stole the scenario from Lily. And she's never really quite forgiven me for that. <laughs> and she never will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, all right, so let's let's move on then to Dragon Keeper, which, you mm -hmm. know, is an internationally best-selling, you know, yep. series for children. Um, yep. would, you, would you consider Dragon Keeper to be your breakout series? Oh, absolutely. Okay. My best-selling best book by yards, you know. Okay. So 
how did how, how did we get to Dragon Keeper? Like when when was that first published? Where did the idea come from? And you know, sort of how did you how did that come to be? Well, for me, ideas sort of percolate for quite a long time, and what I'd already written a story about a dragon for a screen a screenplay, which which was actually produced and. Um, is now available for download on my website. There you um, go. <laughs> right there. It's, uh, I wrote it. It was it was made in 1997, I think. Uh, and um, it was about a dragon. But this was not my idea. Um, the, you know, the, it's actually my husband came up with the who's not a writer, he's a sound recordist, <laughs> he, he came up with the idea of a dragon story, uh, for which he told Lily as a bedtime story. And um, uh, he'd always thought it would make a good movie. And he tried to write a script, but, you know, to be honest, he's no writer. And so, I'd, you know, I said, you know, give it to me, I'll, I'll have a go. And so I was introduced to dragons um, by him. And I, because of my research... You know, my punch off research, I didn't want to just kind of make up my own fantasy dragon. I wanted it to be based in the dragons of myths uh, and legends. And so I started to do the research. And, you know, I haven't really finished since. You're still researching. <laughs> just goes on and on. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so uh, the, the Chinese dragons were the standout ones for me. They were, there was such a lot of. Charming and arcane information about um, about Chinese dragons in, in the myths and the legends and the the writings, uh, 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 you know, the ancient writings that I came across. It was just sort of crying out for stories to be told. And I had been to Ch- China. Um, we'd been, you know, on a, on a holiday in the eighties. You know, we with no language and when hardly anybody went to China. And then. As when I when I was learning Mandarin, I went with college as well. So I went to China two years in a row, and so yeah, I just thought, uh, I, you know, I'm interested in China. I find Chinese history fascinating. I like dragons. It was kind of like just dovetailed. Okay, so and that's it, where the world came from. But then, as far yeah. as you know, creating the you know fantastic Dragon Keeper, particularly that first book is is mm. talked about by, you know, librarians and teachers, yeah. like the whole world loves that book, yeah. um, including, yes. including my boys. So oh, you know, yeah, it's on the shelf, babe, don't worry. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering, um, you know, like it's one thing to have the world there, but the, with obviously with children's novels, particularly the story is, is everything. Where did the idea for the story come from? To be honest, I can't remember. I just had... Uh, you know, it's, I'm going to have to do spoilers here, but I had the idea of um, an, a, a dragon egg. Um, you know, I, 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 it's talked. You know, the eggs are talked about in, in in the myths, and so that was sort of the first spark. And um, I wanted a, I wanted a, a female protagonist, and I wanted her to start with absolutely nothing. Mm. You know, I wanted her to have a really big arc and I was kind of, you know, I've, I've read fantasy in my time and uh, I don't like those sort of stories where your hero is is ready-made with all the skills, mm. you know, just waiting to be introduced to the world and they can just do everything. I wanted her to have to really struggle to to find her skills and, um, 
and to be able to utilize them. And I guess, you know, looking back, it was kind of like what I was doing as a writer. Mm. You know, not, no real self belief, um, just not convinced that I could do this in a, in a proper way. How could I? I didn't have any credentials, you know. Um, so that sort of self doubt and lack of confidence, I guess, went into Ping's character. And, um, you know, that, that sort of journey as you, you do as a writer to just sort of put all that sort of self-doubt aside and just do it and put it out there, uh, you know, with full knowledge that it could just all fall in a heap and, mm. uh, and be, uh, you know, far from critically acclaimed, whatever the opposite of critically acclaimed is. It's ignored. <laughs> yes. Oh, worse, people could say bad things about it. Yeah. Mm. Did you always know it would be six books? Like did you start out? Like, did you, I guess what I'm asking here is, did you plan the whole thing out in advance no. before you started? No, 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 no. Nothing like. I wrote the first book and I, I in a synopsis, I had material, uh, too much material for one book. Mm. And so when it came to the end, um, you know, with, with my publisher's help, deciding when was the good job time, the good place to end it, I had a, a, a bit of story left over. <laughs> For, for the beginning of the, the next book. Right. And, uh, you know, that there's no way that, that a, a publisher is going to commit to a series with a new writer. I, d I should not, you know, certainly not a small publisher, as Black Dog Books was. Um, but Black Dog had only just sort of gone out from being a, a entirely an educational publisher into the trade. So, um, you know. Mm. Um the first book had to succeed before there was going to be another one, and I hadn't, even, I hadn't certainly hadn't thought that far. But then once I got into the second one, you know, a trilogy seemed obvious, and I did actually say at the end of Dragon Moon, the third one, or oh, that's it. Um, I, I was, I, I wanted, you know, poor old Ping, she'd had such a hard life. I put her so much, you know, I wanted her to live a nice, quiet life. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a lot of uh, emails and letters from readers who wanted me to continue to write. But I, I said I wasn't going to. And, but after a couple of years, I'd kind of missed, missed the dragons, really. Mm. And I'd, I'd said um, that they, they live for, their lifespan is like 3,000 years. So I realised at some stage that I could continue to write about the same dragon. Mm. But I could sort of leap forward in history. Yeah, right. With a and, different story. Yes, a, yeah. Yes, and a fresh set of human characters. Oh, fantastic. Mm. So now you're at number six, and is this definitely it? I think so, yes. I think that um, I've got, you know, I'm getting on in years, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I've got other things I want to write. And. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. So with the series being sold internationally as it has been, yeah. have you had to make changes for different markets or have the books just gone in as as written to each market they've gone to? Well, look, you never, who knows what, they, what they've said in the Japanese edition. Yeah, so true, or the, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so but true. As, far as, as far as I know, uh, there have been no major story changes. Right. Um, that... that Nobody, you know, the, the the American edition. All they wanted to do was make Dragon Keeper two words instead of one word. Okay. Um, that was the only change they asked for. Uh, the French uh, edition changed 
Ping's name and changed the emperor's name. The emperor's a real person, you know, in history. Oh. Uh, and, and I was very angry about that. But oh. And they shouldn't have done that, but no. they didn't well, ask. Why did they do that? Oh, who knows? No, I think it was just um, a whim of the translator, to be honest. There was, they couldn't give me any reason. And Anyway, anyway. Uh, so, so as far as I know, no, it's – I think this is the, – the, the beauty of writing uh, historical novels is people – don't want to tamper it with it. it they, you know, you don't have to go through the mom and, you know, mum yeah, yes. and all of that sort of stuff. It's yeah. all, everybody's happy to take it as the, you know, the way it is in the past. We're all um, unfamiliar with the past, so um, we don't have to worry about whether we call them taps or faucets and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So as far as your writing process for fiction, like mm. is it, is it, um, is it similar for all books in that sense that you start with some kind of research and then go forward? I, I mean, are yeah. you a, a plotter? Are you a you know on any level, or do you just sort of write the story and wait yeah. to see what happens? I, I am. Um, what what do they call them? Uh, 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 there's a, uh, the pants or the And what's the other one called? The plotter. I plotter, guess. Plotter. Plotter versus. I'm kind like, of I'm kind of in between. I do like to have a vague sort of structure. Right. So I, I, I know, uh, uh, you know, roughly who my protagonist is. I have an idea of the journey that he or she is going to make and I pretty much always know what's going to happen at the end. Mm. I'm usually working towards a far distant but strong scene at the end. Um, but there is not a lot of detail there. And so as I write, which is what I've been doing today, you're sort of feeling your way from one prop point to another in, in the dark sort of thing. And mm. a, lot of, a lot of the best, for me, the, a lot of my best ideas, there's those sort of little, um, uh, you know, not the full story ideas, but the little ideas that make it a, a, a bit different, a bit special, come during, that, during the writing process. Mm. I've, I've tried. I've tried doing the full plot on cards it just changes as I'm writing, so it's a waste of time. <laughs> I understand. I feel the same way. <laughs> yes. Exactly the same way. So what about your writing process for non-fiction then? So how many non-fiction books have you written now? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, Heaps. Well, half a dozen, six, seven. Okay. Do you approach those in a different, like, in a, a very different way to the way that you would go about, you know, writing a novel? No, not really. Um, it's, I'm still looking for the story. Um, there still has to be like a strong story to be told rather than just a stream of facts. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that, that's with a, with a nonfiction for kids, it's not like for adults where you have to tell every version, every, every opinion, everybody's, you know, different views on everything. You can just kind of pick, you know, the best version of history in a way, you know, the strongest, the, the most uh, accepted uh, and the most interesting, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I'm still looking for the story and, you know, obviously you've got to stick to the facts. But a lot of the fi a lot of the nonfiction I've done is in the drum series for Black Dog mm. where at the beginning of each chapter there's a bit of fiction. You know, you kind of put your reader in the time and the place. Yeah. So that, that, you know, I just think it's really hard for kids to imagine the past I don't know I can remember I've always been interested in history as a child uh, but it was a jumble 
you know, a jumble yeah. of, 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 of mismatched things and historically incorrect things and confusion about when, you know, I remember watching lots of those cowboy shows on TV, which there, of which there were a million when I was a child. Mm. I, had, I thought it was the distant past and um, it wasn't until I saw a, like a Model T Ford or something in one that I realised it wasn't that distant at all. Um, and so, yeah, you've got, you've got your young readers have got to be sort of led by the hand to, to try and um, remove opportunities for, for, for confusion as much as possible. But so, I'm still telling a story. So let's talk about atmospheric then, which was mm. obviously, um, you know, one the uh, Wilderness Society's book, uh, award last year and mm. also was a notable book for the Children's Book Council Book of the Year. So yeah. obviously, you know, as far as nonfiction goes, doing very nicely for itself. Were you surprised by the success of that book? Um, oh, well, I, I figured it was topical. Yeah. But, but this is one book that I didn't write with, you know, what, what – what can I write that people will want to read? Uh, this is more like, what can I write that people must read? Right, okay. Um, you know, I belong to a climate action group mm-hmm. and I felt like this is something that I could do. I wanted it to be a book where whoever read it of any age would come out at the end and say, okay, now I understand it, now I have no doubts. Okay. Uh, and so that was really my motivation. And so, yeah, uh, you know, it's, 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 I'm glad that people are reading it. I mean, it's not the kind of book that kids ask for for their birthday or anything, but. (laughs) (laughs) What age group is it actually written for? Well, it's, it's kind of up a bit. It's more like a, 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 for for lower high school, I guess, lower to middle high school. Anybody can read it. I've had a lot of the ideal uh, of of adults read it saying, right, now, you know, I've got it now. And my idea was that not only would it be for students to read, but for uh, it might be challenging for uh, kids in primary school, but if if the teacher read it, then he or she would have all the information and then be able to sort of, you know, um, present it in a way that they thought was uh, understandable and effective for their own students. So when you're writing a story like that, because, you know, it is a story that um, mm-hmm. has, you know, a lot of emotion attached yeah. to it, as well as the potential for real anxiety in kids in that mm. sense of, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom and yes. horror around it, yeah. climate yeah. change. So how do you approach a story like that? Is it just a, you know, just the facts, ma'am, kind of a, 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 a sort of a approach or how do you... Well, how did it, you approach it? I thought it was going to be quite a small book that would just sort of list list the facts and this is the situation we're at now and this is what you can do about it. But the more I got into it with with all the confusion and the unknowns that people had about it, I realised I kept going back and back and back. And so it, it ended up being a story that spanned millions of years because mm. I had to talk about how cause formed and you know, how it's not going to be formed again any time soon. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It just it just got bigger and bigger as I was going um, and I just went with it. Mm. Okay. I've honestly, I've forgotten what your question was now. Just, just you know, like when there's in the sense that it has that potential for, you know, anxiety and things oh, like right. that. Do yes. you have that in your back of your mind or are yes. you just yes. sort of? I did. I most definitely did and um, I wanted certainly to 
present all of those facts. facts. So it's quite clear that it wasn't their fault, you yeah. know. Yeah. That, that, that everybody be, behind them, everybody that's come before them, uh, has has a role to play in the blame for it, but they don't. Mm. They don't. However, they have to. They have to be the ones that act. And I. So I, at the end, I certainly do all the things you can do around your house, but I also encourage them to act politically. Really, mm. um, they they have a voice. You know, 13, 14-year-olds are going to be able to vote in a few years. Not many years, you know. You have the power. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I sort of also went down that track. Terrific. All right, so you've now written more than 30 books as well as short stories, a telemovie, mm-hmm. some other scripts. Um, yep. You've been very busy since you started. <laughs> you've embarked yes. on your writing career. So yes. you're clearly not short on ideas. Um, how do you manage them? Because I know that with a lot of sort of, writers who are starting out, you know, every new idea looks shinier than the one you're currently working on. Um, so, you know, what do you do to kind of keep all those ideas in order and decide what you're going to do next and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah. Well, I kind of put them in the bank, you know. Uh, I've, I've got a file of, of ideas, um, you know, things that I might have started to work on and put aside, um, and they're all there to, you know, to, to, to go back to. Um and so far, um, you know, I haven't, as I say, I haven't run out of ideas, but you, you never know. The, the book I'm writing at the moment is, is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, um, a very long time. Uh, so it, in some ways, yes, they are shiny and new, but they also all need a lot of work right. to, to work up into a story. Yeah. So... Um, you know, if you're already in the process of one, to me, that's the shiny one <laughs> because you, yeah. you're doing you're, it. Yeah, yeah, you've made some progress. You know, like I've got, I've written twenty thousand words of the book that I'm writing now. Now, many of many of those words are going to change, but I feel like okay, it's coming together. All right. So, are you much involved in the marketing of your work? Do you do a lot of sort of social media or any of that sort of um, that sort of stuff? I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, I do post on, uh, you know, Instagram is my favourite. Okay, cool. It's, it's nice to be have a picture. To... Are you are you just Carol Wilkinson on Instagram? Yeah, it's it's what is it? Can't remember exactly what it is. Um, I'd have to look it up, but it's pretty easy to find. It's yeah. Carol Wilkinson something. Yeah. <laughs> something. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> maybe my birth. No, it's Ka- on Instagram. I'm Carol Ann Wilkinson. That's right. There you go. All so right. Carol, Just in case anyone wants to look you up, yes. Carol Ann Wilkinson Car- on Instagram. Carol with an E and without an E. That, yes, that's there's and, a trap for you guys. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I I post things. I try and sort of keep a balance with personal things that I'm interested in that I think other people might be interested in. Um, pictures of my grandson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I don't like to be one of those people that just only ever post about, you know, here's my new book, yep. here's where I'll be, you know. I think that's a great uh, approach. I, I want people to, you know, who take the trouble to follow me to get to know me a bit as a person as well as an author. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I post on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook reluctantly. I really don't like Facebook. Right, okay. So Instagram's clearly where you are at your most yeah, comfortable yeah. and probably the best place for us to look for you. Yeah. All right, you also have a very 
a really good clear author website which is very easy to navigate and gives you all the information you could possibly require is that something that's developed over time or is that a relatively new thing or how do, you know how long oh, have you sort of been there right no i've had a website for a long time i can't remember when i when it started but a long time and uh, this current uh, website was um was was designed by chris miles um who is also an author yep and uh, he has just recently, after being my webmaster for many years, said, really, Carol, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so um, he has given me some lessons and I've now taken it over myself. Ah. It's quite empowering, actually. <laughs> it's empowering to be able to do it yeah. yourself, up, update yes. whenever you want. Yes. And, and you can, you know, one of the things I always say is I do try and keep it absolutely up to date. Yes. Uh, and, you know, there are links for teachers there to teachers' notes. And, you know, if you can find them, it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I now have, um, I've managed to get the, the audio rights for Dragon Keeper and Black Snake, the book on Ned Kelly, which are the two, my two best-selling books. Mm. And so um, they're up online. Uh, they can be downloaded for a price, I might add. But um, I find that I'm getting increasingly getting requests from schools for audio books. Uh, because uh, they're finding that this helps uh, kids with, with um, uh, you know, reading problems, with, with learning difficulties. Fantastic. So it, it was a hard job, let me tell you, to get the, the rights and to, to um, you know, they'd already been recorded by a company that was no longer using them. So to get the, oh, those recordings. So you had to get them back, basically. Yes, yes. Ah. So that took me about two years. <laughs> Wow, okay. So, well, that's so, yeah. worth doing though, obviously. Yes, yes. All right, so if you want to have a look at any of those things, you could uh, you could visit carolwilkinson.com.au. That's C-A-R-O-L-E, wilkinson.com.au. So go and check out Carol's website and her audio books and all of the other goodies that she has there. Um, so just to finish up today, Carol, let's have a little discussion about your three top tips for writers. Okay. What well, have you got for us? I've only written two down so far. Well, number one is use Scrivener. Ah. It, is, it is not an expensive um, writing application to use and it is very good. You can have all your research and your links and your timelines and everything at, at your fingertips on the one screen. And, you know, I was forever sort of searching back through, you know, going through word, for word documents, looking for the timeline, looking for, you know, whatever, mm. um, uh, finding the web page where I got that piece of information. Um, it's, it's, it has some very useful features. Not, not the least is the lovely um, targets little thing that you yeah. can so you can set your targets, what you want to do for the for the whole book, what you want to achieve each day, and you see this little line sort of squeaking along quietly until it hits you. You know, you're, I've got it at a thousand words. I haven't quite made a thousand words today. I think it's sort of like something like seven hundred and eighty-five. So once I get to that stage, I'm fine. Um, I love that feature. Uh, I also use the comments feature on it. You can just sort of write a comment, and it, they come up in a sidebar. I use that as a reminder for everything that I think, you know, as I'm going, oh, I should, must, must go back and fix that, you know, uh -huh. just come up with something new, must, go, must look up this, um, you know, could, would it be better if she did this, that or the other. Use, and for atmospheric, uh, when every, I felt like every sentence that I wrote had to be referenced, I put all the references uh -huh. in there. 
Uh, otherwise, I would have gone insane try, <laughs> trying to remember where everything came from. So I love Scrivener. Um, and I, th- I think it is, it does order my thoughts, which are a bit, um, you know, scattered at times. Um, my second uh, would be, and look, I'm sure most uh, most people who have written um, even a little bit know this already, is learn to love editing. Yeah. You've just got to. You've got to know that these are never going, that what you've just written down is never going to make it into the book as is that it needs work, it needs honing, it needs possibly deleting, you know. Yeah. Got to love that that process because, you know, it gets better. <laughs> you know, what's not to love? It's, it's, it's um, yes, it will make it better. And your um, third one is don't say no, I believe. Yes, that's right, that's right. It's reminding <laughs> yes. Um, I have tried many different things and I would never have come to writing uh, children's fiction if I had not said, yes, I will do um, fiction as, a, as, as an elective. Yes, I will write a teen novel, even though it's never occurred to me in my life. Um, uh, and I also said yes to a lot of other things. I wrote for a couple of TV series, kids' TV series, which did not work out for me, which was a disaster, but it was good to know about that. Yes, good to know so, it was a disaster. So, you know, rather than sort of sitting, waiting for something to happen, you've got to make stuff happen. And mm. anything you write, even my brochures and, and educational handbooks that I wrote, everything taught me something about writing. Or publishing, mm. uh, and uh, you, you meet people. This is how I met my publisher yes. through doing other things. So, I mean, you don't want to be distracted from if, if you know if you are writing a novel and you have you have got um, the, you know it has been commissioned or you think you've got you've got somebody that's interested in it. You don't want to be distracted. But on the other hand, you you really need to leave yourself open because you just don't always know you know, what it is you should be writing. All right. Well, thank you very much for that great advice. Thank you very much for saying yes to talking to us today. And um, we, um, we we wish you all the best with the sixth book in the Dragon Keeper series. And thank you. if you want to, to read more about Carol's work, visit carolwilkinson.com.au. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, I love it how sometimes authors, well, you know, writing skills just run in the family, clearly. I know. Well, I mean, and in a, in a perfect case of the interviewer being totally unprepared for the interview, I didn't realise that she was Lily's mum until she said it in the interview. And then I was like, oh, okay, wow. So, yeah, it's obviously a very, very talented family. Yeah. Isn't it funny how that happens? Just like um, a couple of uh, Australian Writers' Centre graduates, Tamsin Janu, who, of course, wrote the award-winning picture books, Figgy in the World and Figgy and the President, and then not more recently... Not picture books, middle grade, babe. No, sorry, not picture books, middle grade, yes. <laughs> and, um, of course, then she told her mum about the course and her mum did the course, and now Penelope Janu has uh, released her debut novel, um, Tamsin's Mum, so very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. If you've if you uh, have a parent, <laughs> maybe you've got some latent talent that you are not. If you have a parent who is into writing, maybe you've <laughs> we've all got, got some, parents. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, most of us. <laughs> who's into writing? Maybe you've got some latent talent that you haven't discovered yet. So I encourage you to do that. All right. 
I want to move on to talk about something that I think is really important because Ooh. I think so many people suffer from it. And as when I talk about it, I'm amazed at the number of people who come up to me afterwards who then say, I really resonated with that message because I really suffer from it too. And I spoke about this recently at the uh, event that I was in, in Brisbane, and when I was talking to people about how to build their profile, and that is imposter syndrome. And I wanted, I know we've touched on it here and there, um, but I wanted to mention it again because uh, I'm seeing it more and more. I don't know why I'm seeing it more and more, but I think that one of the things people struggle with when they want to build their profile as an author is they think that other a number of things. Number one, they think that other people are going to think of them of the, think of them as a shameless self promoter. Mm. Number two, they um, uh, they just think they're going to come across as a bit of a tosser or a bit of a you know. Um, a word starting with W that I won't say. And, <laughs> and a weeder. Also, a weeder, yes. yes and importantly, I think that if they have not yet uh, published their novel or their book and they're still writing it, I think a lot of people are scared to call themselves a writer and they don't want to put themselves out there as a writer because they think, well, I haven't got a book yet. And mm. and one of the things that we do teach people is you actually need to start building your profile while you are writing the book and not after your book is out because um, – as evidenced in the uh, interview that we did in a previous episode with Vanessa Carnavali, that is exactly what she did and that worked very effectively for her because when the book came out, she already had a, a community of people who were ready to support her and buy her book. Mm. But so many people suffer from imposter syndrome because they think I'm not good enough yet or I haven't proven myself or I haven't got my book out. When I have a book to my name, you know, holding it in my hands, then I will be able to call myself an author or then I can promote themselves. But guess what? When that happens, you still can suffer from imposter syndrome and think, oh, well, I need my second book or I, yes, still, don't feel, I still don't feel like a bona fide author. Now, I think it's important that for everyone to realise that everyone at every level, even authors who have published 20 books, <laughs> still suffer from imposter syndrome. Even the most successful people in the world still suffer from imposter syndrome. And that your choice is to either suffer from it and live with that and dwell in it or get over it. And I think mm. the cho- it, they are literally your two choices. Literally. Mm. And it may it does no one any good for you to stick with imposter syndrome and never let um, your talent shine or never let your message out there or never let your work help and, you know, touch other people or, or um, be appreciated by other people. So logically, get over it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Logically, because you know Val does like the logical approach. Um, logically, yes, that is your actually is actually the only alternative that you have. You either get over it or you you know sort of it's like on. drown drown it's under on. it. But I mean, illogically, uh, that's not always an easy thing to do. Um, yes. And it is it is very difficult to just be like I'm totally going to get over this and I'm I'm right there and I'm doing it. So 
I think it would be worth just going back to to that interview that we did with Vanessa, where she talked about just making small incremental steps outside your comfort zone. She talked yes. about the fact that she started teaching workshops. Um, you know, obviously, you know, thinking, oh my God, who am I to be teaching workshops? But she started with subjects that she felt really comfortable with. So mm-hmm. she stepped out of her comfort zone by doing the workshops. But her first workshops were on, you know, mindfulness and in writing and and things like that. So things that where she felt comfortable, that she was just that couple of steps about, you know, uh, uh, sort of on the journey ahead of the people she was talking to and she was confident that she could talk to that to do a workshop on that subject and have something to say so I think that there's something to be said in you know for that um gosh listen to me today I'm all over the shop (laughs) take a deep breath speaking of mindfulness Alison take a deep breath there's a, there's a message in that for all of us if you don't have to go from zero to hero in one Mm. jump I guess that's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is take small steps. And if you take small steps, it's a lot easier to leave your imposter syndrome behind you as you sort of move, you know, forward down that road. Um, Because each time you do something, you know, some small step that's new, you get confident from that and then you Mm. feel better about taking the next step and taking the next step and taking the next step. Like you are not going to go, I'm writing my, I'm still writing my novel, but I am going to pitch to do a workshop at Sydney Writers Festival on how to write a novel. You're not going to do that, (laughs) but you, well, you know, you might. Um, But what you probably could do is go down to your local library and offer to teach a workshop on some aspect of that process that you know more about than other people might know. So maybe it's something to do with building a platform. Maybe it's something to do with, um, as Vanessa did, mindfulness. Maybe it's how yoga and writing go together. I have no idea because clearly yoga is not my thing. (laughs) But there will be something that you you know more about than other people. So pick that. Do your workshop on that and then move on. So getting over it can be done not overnight, but step by step by step by step by step. And build that it's and remember this is not self-promotion. This is about creating a community. And if you keep yeah. that in mind, it makes it a lot easier. Yes. Change your mindset from exactly that. It's not mm-hmm. about promoting yourself. It's about b- building a community. I love that. And you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a workshop that you need to do to step out no, of your comfort zone. Yeah, that's just an example. It could be, you know, um, uh, being slightly more active on social media. It could be participating in a writer's group. It could be whatever. And of course, Alison lays this all out in a blueprint, which doesn't make you feel at all like you're promoting yourself. That really helps you build your platform as an author. And it's in Alison's course called How to Build Your Author Platform, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough. And you can find out more at writercenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform. Well, that brings us almost to the end of this week's episode, Al. What are you doing in the coming week? Oh, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't actually um, got myself into the right frame of mind to even know yet, but I think what I'm going to be doing this week is uh, editing 
the second book in the Adaban cipher. I, I started doing oh, some work on that. Right. Yes. Yeah, I started doing some work on that last week, but I got very, very derailed with a whole range of different things that came up, as I do sometimes. Yeah. Um, but this one's not coming out until 2018, so I do have some time. Okay. Um, but I'm trying to get through. I'm, I'm trying to get that into shape at the moment. So I have a first draft, and it's in pretty good shape, but it needs to be massaged and you know, yeah, sorted. How exciting! It's exciting. What about you? What are you going to be doing? Um, this coming week, I my feet are going to recover, but I'm going to another conference. It's a two-day conference, but fortunately I don't have to be on stage for this one so I can wear flat shoes. And But always when you go to a conference, especially one that lasts something like two days, you have to squish the rest of the week into the other three days. So I'll be working like a mad woman in the um, preceding three days so that I can go and appreciate the conference and enjoy the conference and learn from the conference, um, you know, without having to rush off and do things in the breaks. Hmm. So until then, until our next episode, Al, where do we find you online? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Valerie? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, of course, feel free to connect with me on Facebook. I'm easy to find. I'm the Valerie Koo that lives in Sydney. And, of course, if you want to have a look at the show notes, you just need to go to soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. So until we talk to you next time, thank you so much for listening and we'll chat again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>